You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical billing expert, finding savings can seem impossible. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Saving starts with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. Family Secrets is a production of iHeartRadio. You ain't never gonna be man enough. Those words would haunt me. I would hear their echo in his voice, in the squish of hunting waders stepping into a marsh, in the metallic clinking of his wrenches while he fixed the grain combine. I would hear those words every morning when I walked to the one-room schoolhouse and watered the ponderous pine. I would hear them when I was promoted to CEO, came out of the closet, got married and divorced, and graduated twice from Cornell University with a master's and doctorate, knowing my father was not present for any of it. Long after he came home from Vietnam and started fighting a different war against cancer, I would always remember that I ain't never going to be man enough. That's Trent Pressler. Trent is the CEO of Bedell Sellers, an esteemed vineyard on the North Fork of Long Island. He's the author of the debut memoir, Little and Often. And Trent is also the builder of bespoke artisanal canoes. His canoes have been called the most beautiful in the world. This is the story of what one man does in order to make meaning of the secrecy and silence surrounding his life. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is a special bonus episode of Family Secrets with best-selling author, wellness expert, cancer thriver, who has been living with stage four cancer for the past two decades, Chris Carr. Chris has been called one of our great thought leaders by Oprah Winfrey, and her new book is I'm Not a Morning Person, Braving Loss, Grief, and the Big Messy Emotions That Happen When Life Falls Apart. Chris and I will be talking about an episode from season six called Taxidermied Duck, which I hope you'll all check out if you haven't already. As always, I'm so glad you're here. Chris, thanks so much for coming on Family Secrets. Thanks for having me, Danny. It's good to be here. I'm wondering what stood out for you as you were listening. Did anything in particular strike you about it? Oh, so many things. I think 
that many of us have parallel um, experiences, especially with estranged parents or parents we might not have been estranged with, but really did not know in any way, shape or form. And, you know, one of the big things that stood out for me, it was the idea that we fill the silence when there's silence in our homes, when there's silence in our histories, when there's pieces and parts that are missing we clever humans fill that silence. And usually we fill it with stories that um, are not very beneficial to our mental well-being. I think Annie Lamott once famously said something like, my head is a neighborhood that I shouldn't spend too much time in. (laughs) It's so true. Well, you know, I met my biological father. I met him when I was 18 years old and I didn't know anything about him. You know, it was something that we had to tiptoe around because I knew that my mother had gone through so much pain around that abandonment. And I really couldn't experience my own pain except for internally because I didn't want to bring up more of her own. And so I remember feeling the void and feeling that silence with all of the reasons why he wasn't there. And then, of course, I grew up with a a very (laughs) wild and interesting grandmother who would actually fill the void with stories and it would be like he died in a plane crash the wedding dress is upstairs you know like all of these things and none of them were true so I just realized that later in life when I was a grown-up I would figure it out on my own but again I think that that's such a beautiful point that you tease out in that episode about how we turn inward and sometimes turn on ourselves when we don't have all the pieces. Yeah, exactly. And then that ends up forming so much of our lives. There's a piece of wisdom from from Carl Jung that I that I love and think about a lot, which is until we make the unconscious conscious, it will direct our lives and we will call it fate. So when your wild grandmother would tell you these stories as a kid, did you know that they weren't true or did you try to kind of attach yourself to them in some way and try them on for size? Or did you just kind of know that this wasn't it? I think in the beginning, I I did believe her, but then I realized there was a lot of other lies. <laughs> and then when you start to follow the the breadcrumbs, you're like, mm, this doesn't add up. And I don't have to be, you know, that wise to understand that. So for me, it was really about trying to make sense of it myself. And, and that's something that's really hard for a child to do without turning it into something that is about themselves. Like it must be me. There must be something wrong with me, flawed with me. And one of the things that I love about your episode with Trent is, you know, he had lots of reasons to self-abandon, especially with a father that essentially abandoned him, but he didn't. And I found that to be so beautiful and such a testament to his resilience and his fortitude just as a person. Absolutely. I mean, it's extraordinary to me that he grew up in such an isolated way on this ranch in South Dakota that was thousands of acres and more cows than people. And you could drive for hours and hours and still be on, on, on the land of this ranch, you know, with his parents who were complicated people and with his sister who he adored, who became very ill and who he loved and he, he was a caretaker for and felt very responsible for. And all of that is such a prescription for not being able to escape or know that there is a path that's different from the path that he was already on. I mean, he's gay and he knows he's gay and he's in a culture and in a world that is 
completely rejecting of homosexuality and and a church that believes that he's going to burn in hell for eternity if if he's gay to be able to leave that world and go east and go to college and carve out a life for himself just struck me as such a tremendous act of as you say resilience I also loved that, you know, he mentions this word and I write about this in my book and it's, it's what I call ruptures. And it was the moment when his sister died and he is going to the funeral and, you know, he brings a boyfriend, he brings a partner, a significant other, and it's really his big reveal. He's revealing his secret and he's doing it in a way It's like, this is what I need to survive this storm. I need to be who I am and I need to be with somebody I love. And I think that that's the inciting incident for him. And like for so many of us, the ruptures are what set us on our path to, I think, becoming more ourselves. And, you know, one of the things that I have explored is that ruptures come in all shapes and sizes and none of us are immune to them. And they're hard and they're painful. It's the divorce. It's the miscarriage. It's, you know, you lose your job. You lose your former sense of self, the diagnosis, whatever it is. And it doesn't take away from the pain, what I'm about to say. But all of these ruptures also have the power to rearrange us, realign our values, our priorities, point us more towards what really matters, and maybe even awaken dreams that we have long since let die because we think this this time is is behind me. And I think that the ruptures make us realize that the time that's in front of us, we need to spend it living authentically. And, and I think that that's something that I really loved about his story because it was through that loss that he went on this journey of being himself. And one of the things about that journey and that rupture is that that was a moment for him that he really, for his own self-preservation and for his own growth, needed to really distance himself and separate himself from his parents, from his father Mm -hmm. in particular, because he can't be, he won't be accepted by him. And that lack of being accepted becomes unbearable. I mean, it had always been true up until then, but at that point, That's what makes it a rupture is that in the grief about the loss of his sister and, you know, he describes it so beautifully, you know, the man who is his partner, he's in a relationship with, is relegated to the back row of the church and Trent is sitting up with family because it's his friend who he's brought, his partner, is not family. And he turns around as the casket is coming in and he sees this man, his partner's face in the back row and something in him just rips open and it becomes unacceptable. You know, what? one of the things that you're talking about and that we talk a lot about um, on this podcast is meaning-making. It seems like those are moments when they happen that are, uh, you know, kind of sink or swim moments, you know. Are we going to succumb to this feeling of despair and grief? Which is not to say we're not going to feel all of our feelings, but are we going to succumb or is this actually going to be some kind of turning point uh, from which we make meaning out of that sorrow, that chaos? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's, it's one that we all 
struggle with at some point when we were going through loss. And that moment, that rupture for me happened with my biological father when his mother died. And I wasn't allowed to be in contact with any member of his family, but his mom, my grandmother, would write me, sneak me these little letters over the years and a little piece of jewelry and, you know, just a little trinket or a Christmas ornament. And right around the time when I was 18, I decided to write her and I had sent her little things as well, but I, I decided to write her and I, all I wanted was a picture of my father. I just wanted to see if we looked like each other. And before she got the letter, she died. And so her loss was really the moment where I said, I am going to find this person. I'm going to find him. I'm going to ask him if he'll meet me. And if he won't meet me, then he has to have the guts to tell me why. And if it wasn't for her passing, I'm not so sure, especially at that time in my life, 18, filled with all the hormones and all of the angst. (laughs) I'm not so sure that I would have done it. But to your point about making meaning, you know, the things that the secrets that we hide, I think, hold or the secrets that are, you know, a part of our lives have the power to lead us to that meaning, to lead us to a better understanding of ourselves and truly who we want to be. We'll be right back. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. 
Relax this Sunday with a little moment to yourself and the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. You know, I was struck reading your book at the idea that I just think is a universal truth for all of us, that there are lives contain multiple ruptures, right? They, they, they contain multiple before and after moments. And you're describing one of them in your world and your, in your life. And in the case of seeking out and meeting your biological father, can you imagine a parallel world in which you hadn't done that and that just would have continued to remain this question mark that sort of walked alongside you? you know, in your life moving forward? You know, I've never thought about that. That's a great question, Danny. Probably not because I really long to at least have some understanding of the other half of my DNA. You know, I just, I wanted to know certain things. I mean, of course I wanted to know why, but more so I think I wanted to know what is he like? What is, what's his humor like? What's his personality like? What's he into? Is he tall? Is he short? You know, is he skinny? what does he look like? And that was something that I just really wrestled with for so long. Of course, underneath it, I wrestled with the abandonment, but on top of it was just, you know, how do I look so different from everybody else in my family? And not everybody wants to know, but I did want to know. And I remember when I met him, he said, you know, we'd never seen each other and I hadn't even seen a picture of him. And I just got out of the car and he got out of the house and we walked towards each other and I put out my hand and he put out his hand and I said, hi, I'm Kristen. And he said, hi, I'm Crispin. And we were mirror images of each other. And, and it was like, wow, this, it, I, it was so bright. I could barely look at him. I spent most of the time looking at the ground. Yeah. I really, I really understand that. You never thought of him and have never thought of him as your dad. He was your biological father. He was the person that you come from. But the man who raised you and who married your mother and who became your dad, so much of your book is about the loss of him. And, you know, I think one of the reasons why I, I chose Trent's episode to talk about with you is that in many ways, your book is about the shape of grief. and grief as something that none of us can escape. It's part of the human condition. I mean, the subtitle of your book is Braving Loss, Grief, and the Big Messy Emotions That Happen When Life Falls Apart, which is just kind of everything. I mean, life just feels like it's full of big, <laughs> messy emotions, and we're constantly, in one way or another, trying to tamp them down or find nice, tidy containers for them. And then um, a profound loss comes along, and grief just does not allow for any of those tidy containers for our big messy selves. And, you know, and I was thinking about in Trent's episode, I mean, just the incredible symbolism of his inheritance is that his father leaves him his toolbox along with a taxidermy duck um, <laughs> that there's a story about that I hope people will go back and listen to the episode and hear why this taxidermy duck was Trent's inheritance. But his, his father gives him this toolbox, and Trent drives 
all the way from South Dakota back to the east end of Long Island where he lives with his dog, Caper, and this toolbox. And he's in this kind of wild, complicated grief because it was a complicated relationship and a really difficult one. And when he gets back, it's not like a stunt. It's not like something he decides to do or something that he read about in a book somewhere. He just thinks, what am I going to do with this toolbox? And he thinks, I'm going to build a boat. And he clears out all of his furniture, every last stick of furniture in the home that he's living in, so that he can build a canoe using his father's toolbox. And he'd never built anything before. I mean, he's, he's a CEO of a, of a, of a vineyard. Um, this, wasn't, this wasn't part of his skill set. And yet, this becomes like the shape of his grief. And you write in your book about anticipating grief, which is its own thing that I'm very interested in because I, I think I do that. I pre-grieve things as if you can actually pre-grieve them and then somehow spare yourself <laughs> grief later. All you're doing is pre-grieving and adding more grief to the grief sandwich. But, you know, in the case of Trent's loss of his father, he hadn't really anticipated it. He hadn't been in touch with his family. He hadn't been in touch with his father. and it's almost like he doesn't know how to grieve or or where to put it. So it, it takes on this physical manifestation of this project. You know, I called my book, I'm Not a Morning Person, because I didn't want to be. It was the one emotion I didn't want to go near. It was so big. I thought if I touched it, I would drown. And that's how I started the process. And then, you know, through a lot of my own healing and therapy and, and certainly an enormous amount of research as I was writing the book, I realized that we we live in a grief phobic, messy, emotions averse society. So few of us know how to handle storms of that magnitude. And so we oftentimes bury the pain in different ways. You know, it's like emotional physics. But what doesn't come out one way will come out another way. And if, hopefully we can find ways so that the emotion can come out in a healthy way. Um, but I think with all of these big feelings, many of us want to amputate them, you know, because they are so painful, but we can't amputate any of our emotions and hope to be whole. And I think that's the whole part of the human experience of saying all of these parts of me, of me are welcome and each of my emotions serve a purpose. And ultimately at the core of them, it's just information. And it's information that leads me back to myself and a deeper layer of my own healing. Mm. And for him, what I thought was so wonderful was, you know, like I said about emotional physics, what doesn't come out one way will come out another way. If you come out through drinking, shopping, gambling, you name it, all of the things that you can think to, to put on the wound to temporarily numb it, but it also can come out in a really healthy way through the creative process. and that building of the canoe for me is like, I know what it was for me writing the book. I imagine you ha would probably agree with me there that the creative process, just the act of getting the hammer, getting the nails, getting the wood, you know, having the meltdowns, being with his dad's tools and trying to build something that he had never done before with the tools that still embody the energy of a man that he really truly didn't know, but perhaps was getting to know in a deeper, more 
meaningful way in, in some way, shape or form. And that's what the creative process can do for us. And I feel like it's a very, very smart thing to turn to when we're grieving and we don't even know how to touch that feeling. It's like you can thaw into the feeling through the creative process. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, it brings to mind one of my favorite lines in Trent's book and in his story, which is that a woodworker says to him as he's struggling to build this kind of monster of a canoe, you know, he, he, he smashes it. He, he has this relationship with it. It's like a, you know, it's like a, it's like a golem or something. It's like something that he's like, just <laughs> like this ogre in his, in his, that's taken over his life. And, and this woodworker says to him, don't find the grain, follow it. And that strikes me as so much what the, what the creative process is and what the mourning process is. You know, it's not something that can be forced or that's going to kind of adhere to a certain kind of schedule, which I think can sometimes make people feel really angry with themselves. I mean, it, it breaks my heart to look at like my journals from the year that my dad died when I was 23. And, you know, I have lines in there like, you know, it's been six months, I should be over it by now. And I just think, oh, honey, you're, you're this young woman who's lost your beloved father. It's, it's not going to work that way. Give yourself some rope, give yourself a break. But so often we don't. And it goes back to what you were saying about our being in, in a sort of grief-phobic society. And there's a part of your book that I was so happy that you included and that I would love for you to talk a little bit about, which is the things that people say. <laughs> the things that people say, I mean, I found this several years ago when when my husband, Michael, was ill with cancer. And the things that people would say were just that they said the damnedest things. And they 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 said them with perfectly decent intentions, but they would sometimes be so sort of really not what I needed to hear. And you have a section of your book where you talk about that. And also with yourself as as someone who has been living with cancer for two decades. Yeah. I call this awkward times, awkward people. <laughs> and, you know, I'll start by saying that we all mess up. And if we go back to the idea that we don't know what we're doing with the tough stuff, then of course, when we don't know what we're doing, what do we do? We become anxious. And when we're anxious, we put words together that probably should never go together. And so I try to come from this place that we're all good intentioned. We just make mistakes. And so it's the stuff like, you'll have another baby, you're young. It's only a dog. Why are you so sad? Aren't you over it by now? It's been a month, six months, a year, 10 years, whatever. To your point, there is no over, there's through, there's forward. There's, it's just like love doesn't die. Love doesn't go away. Grief doesn't go away. But we live in this very black and white society where there's winners and there's losers. And it's so hard for us to live in the gray. It's, it goes against our grain because we want that hot, happy Hollywood ending. We want that bow on top of the story. But that's not realistic. And I think it does our humanity of grave injustice. How can we learn to hold all of it? How can we learn to hold the both and you're successful and unsuccessful? For me, I'm, I have dozens of tumors in my body. I've been living with stage four cancer for 20 years and I'm healthy. And it, I feel like part of this process of 
coming back to ourselves and meaning coming home to ourselves and allowing the parts of ourselves like grief to exist as well is how we start to live in that gray and live really full, magnificent life, lives in that place. So it's it's been a, a very interesting journey for me to go on first and foremost, but then to navigate that idea that we're we're going to do it wrong, we're going to get it wrong, we're going to say it wrong, but can we can we show up differently next time, right? You can't say anything, it's, and it's not your job to fix it. And I think that we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to fix things for other people. I think the best thing that we can do is just listen and be fully present and just keep showing up, even saying, I don't know what to say, but I'm here and I love you. So true. And we all live in the gray, whether or not we are admitting to ourselves that we, that we do. We're, we're all always in that gray area. Trent's, in his, his memoir is titled Little and Often, um, which refers to the way that ultimately he learned how to build a canoe and ac- actually becomes a master builder of the most beautiful canoes in the world. Little and Often also seems like the way that healing happens. It doesn't happen in a great sweep of drama, you know, with violins playing and and you know everything being illuminated <laughs> healing happens bit by bit and it's also never done yeah and i think that's the part that gets people frustrated because it does take that patience and there's a difference between healing and curing and curing takes place in the body and it, and it may or may not happen um, but healing takes place in the heart and that's possible for all of us, even up into the moment of our death, you know, and just being willing to say, I'm, a, I'm up for this journey and I'm going to give myself the space to actually truly walk it. Like you said, I mean, in the, in, it's in the little moments. And I remember this one thing that my dad's surgeon said, and he was going through a very rough time at this point, And you know, we said, we'll take it one day at a time. And and he corrected us. He said, you know what? Just take it one step at a time. Don't even try to go for one full day at a time. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great if we all just lowered the bar um, so that we could just take one little bite and chew it thoroughly and say, that's enough for today. That's just beautiful and wise, just as you are. Chris, I want to thank you so much for, for joining me today to talk about real important things. Thanks for having me. I always love heart tending with you. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. 
The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.